0: That's right. I'm a man. <laughs> Thank you so much. A. You should move up to Sonora. <laughs> it's wonderful sitting up here. I could just look around here and um, see so many people from my my past and my present. I was crying, and I cry a lot. I, I, just, I used to say um, what my, uh, my mentor, Anil Kanda, used to say, which is, I don't cry a lot. Whenever he'd cry, he'd say that, but now I'm just realizing I cry a lot. But it's so awesome to look around this room and just see so much love and um, so many people who have been so transformative to my life. I see Mrs. Johnson, who was the first person I met at... Uh, At MAA back there, and she just made me feel so at home and loved. And uh, even though my family was going through a divorce, um, she just made me feel welcome. And the Reeves, of course, and their son Christopher, who reached out to help me out when I was feeling very suicidal. And, you know, lots of other people. I saw my coach back there, and Maverick, of course, who was my lifelong. Well, fifth grade on compatriot and troublemaking, and anyway, it's just just good to see you all. David, of course, who taught me how to sing. He may not want to take credit for that now, but anyway, it's good to see you guys. And Mrs. Thompson, of course, and Lauren, and the list goes on and on and on, so I'm sorry if I'm leaving you out. Um... A asked me to embarrass my wife, and I wasn't sure if I wanted to do that or not. <laughs> but, um, babe, could you stand up and wave at people just really quick? Just thank you so much. That's my wife, in case you haven't met her. I think we've been here one time since since we've gotten married and we moved up to Sonora. And uh, my grandparents are here, and uh, my mom is here. And and Papa, can I tell them about... well? First, it's his birthday today. And uh, you can't give him anything. Um, he is is very, very happy to have already given himself the uh, best birthday present ever, which is retirement. He retired this week, and it was a long time coming because he and my grandma stuck. Stood by my brother and I and my mother and, and uh, helped us through Adventist education all the way from first grade into college. And I just want to say thank you to both of you. I, I would not be here. I, 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 uh, as a youth pastor, you gain perspective. And I have to tell you, this is a little cameo for Adventist education. So teachers, listen up there's nothing more important to give to your child. I mean, I guess food and water. (laughs) Safe place to stay. But Adventist education is so important and I've learned that. I understand that now. I understand the sacrifice. My grandpa should have retired many years ago, but he knew that it was important enough that he stayed working to help my mom put me through that school. And now as I'm a youth pastor and I see what happens when You know, some some kids, you know, their parents say, it's not worth it, I'll send my child to public school. They're gone. They might come, you know, for a little bit, for maybe six months, but they're gone. And it's amazing the difference that Adventist education makes. So please, please support Adventist education. Uh, I love uh, CVCA, formerly MAA. I love Malaja, and I, I love all those teachers. Um, so anyway, that's the, my little plug there. It's interesting because I'm here and I feel loved and I feel like I can be very open with with you all. I know a lot of you, I, I see some new members, some new faces. I was looking around, I saw some of the kids, and I was like, man, I don't recognize that child. And then it occurred to me, it's been a few years since I've been here. They probably didn't have hair when I was here last. <laughs> um, but anyway, so many new faces, welcome I know you're welcoming me, but welcome, because I remember this church from a few years ago when I worked here as a student. And um, anyway, I want to get to know each and every one of you, but it's interesting about Sonora, because Sonora is very different. Um, how many of you uh, have been to Sonora recently? It's, it's very different um, we went up there, and Sarah and I were trying to figure out, you know, we came from Pacific Union College, which is a di- very diverse campus, and it prides itself on being so, so uh, diverse in terms of nationalities and, and, and races, and it's amazing. Um, and we go to PUC, and we're like, well, we, or, I mean, we go to, to Sonora, and we're like, man, I wonder what's going on in Sonora, you know? Are we going to have that diverse culture and be able to experience all the, the variety? And um, we looked up on a Wikipedia page, which we all know is reliable 100% of the time. Right, Mr. Reeve? Yes. Um, And uh, anyway, we looked at the census results, and it said something like 97% Caucasian. Now, there's nothing wrong with with us Caucasians. I'm a Caucasian, and I, I, I love myself because I'm... I'm a human. Uh, And so there's 97% Caucasians, and then there's like, let's see, it said like 1.5% Native American, and then there was like 1% Asian. And then I kid you not, it said... 15 African Americans. There wasn't even a percentage. And we're like, man, what in the world is going on with Sonora? And we've realized Sonora is a very different place. We went to Sonora and I was hanging out with some of my youth kids and I realized, man, these kids are tough. Like these kids are scary tough. They are amazingly scary tough. And I started like huffing and puffing as our activity was going on. I don't know if we were doing basketball or dodgeball or something like that. And they look at me and they turn to me. And you know what they called me? You flatlander. You ever heard that before? Because that's what you and I are. We're Flatlanders. If you didn't know it before, you know it now. We're Flatlanders, and that's how Sonora people view. So you know what? I turned to them and I said, You hillbilly, and they said, Thank you. See, they like it there. <laughs> And I just realized Sonora was, was, is just very different when Sarah and I were looking for a place. Uh, we, we 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 were like, well maybe uh, and not to not to uh, insult you who live in, in mobile homes, but we were like, well maybe we'll look for a mobile home instead of a an, an an apartment because you know, maybe an apartment might be nicer, but if we buy a mobile home then we're not just throwing away money and we could fix it and sell it, you know, and get some, some money back. So we go to this place and, and the lady uh, who's selling it says, Y'all used to mountain living? No, we are not used to mountain living. So uh, we go up there, and we're flatlanders up there. It's amazing. Um, something that's very interesting is uh, we go skiing at Dodge Ridge. Um, I know that the CVCA, I don't know if they still do that, but they were doing it when I was there. Um, but, but Malaja goes up there once every week for about five weeks, maybe six weeks sometimes. It's a lot of times going up to Dodge Ridge. And I noticed something very different. Um, when, we, or when, when we took the kids up there, we took them, they were skiing, kids who'd never skied before or snowboarded before. First time, skiing or snowboarding, they're taking their lessons. Second time, they're taking some more lessons. Third time, the teachers take them to the tippity-toppest chair at the highest peak and say, okay, that black diamond is all yours! i 'd never ever i hadn 't been on a black diamond for about three years um, until when start from when I started skiing to when I hit my first black diamond they 're very different. Another thing that was very interesting is when when you go and uh, do you know Brian Simmons? do you remember him former associate pastor up there he was he was uh, one of godfrey 's um, big friends on the youth evangelism team back in the day and uh, Brian came to uh, to SoCal Camp Meeting Campus at the youth tent wearing this jacket that has all these little cells. It's a down jacket. He looked like the Michelin Man. And everyone's like, wow, what's he wearing? That looks so cool. He looked ridiculous. (laughs) And then the Arise team comes in with Nathan Renner and David Astrick, and they're wearing Michelin Man outfits as well. And I thought everyone would have common sense to just say, hey, this is not a good idea. But would you know it, the next year you come to camp meeting and everybody's wearing Michelin man jackets. Why is that? It's not a fashion sense. It's just that Sonora people know how to survive. They know how to live in the rough. So everybody wants to live in the rough. I went to, uh, I took the kids to Belize on a mission trip and uh, and uh, one thing about Belize, very humid, very hot, you need to be constantly replenishing your uh, water. And I had this nice, cute little water bottle, and I was carrying that. And they're like, What is that, Sam? That's cute, you flatlander. And they had these things. What's this? It's a bottle. What type of bottle? Anyone know? That's a Nalgene. This is like a bucket. Sarah and I were just talking about it. It's not very elegant. You don't look very pretty when you're drinking from this, but man, you're getting the water in you. And uh, they're like, what's that little bottle you have, Sam? You need one of these. I'm like, yeah, I need one of these. And I look and there's numbers here. I don't know what they mean. 1,000 ml. I'm guessing that's 1,000 milliliters. 32 ounces. On it. That one has numbers on it. That just makes me even feel healthier. Doesn't that, David? Does that make you feel healthier? That just makes me feel healthier. And so I started drinking this, and it was awesome. And every time I filled it up, I don't know what the numbers mean, but it makes me feel healthy. (laughs) But sometimes we think about prayer that way too, don't we? Sometimes we think about prayer as a bottle. We're like, You know what? I need to have a good prayer life. I need to fill up my prayer now, Gene. My prayer now, Gene's a little bit empty, and I've got these numbers on the side of my bottle, and I need to fill it up. Have you ever, do you know what I'm talking about? I'm trying to explain to you how often we think about prayer when we're praying for something. There's a problem. In fact, I didn't want to. Godfrey even gave me a way out. He asked me to preach on something completely different, but I asked God to share with me what He thought or what what He wanted me to speak on. And I was convicted that I needed to speak on prayer today. And so that's what I'm preaching on: is prayer and the power of prayer. Because you guys are going to be having some awesome outreach and evangelistic series coming up soon. And I felt like the Spirit was leading me to pray or to, to speak on prayer this morning. We often, when we think about prayer, we think of it as this kind of Nalgene experience, where I need to be praying, and if I pray long enough and hard enough, I'm going to fill up my fill up my Nalgene, and eventually God's going to give me the answer that I'm seeking for. You know what I'm saying? i got to keep praying, and if I pray, have you heard that expression, more prayer, more power? I need to keep praying, and if I keep praying, I'm going to fill up my Nalgene, and eventually I'm going to come to that magic number, I'm going to come to a thousand milliliters of prayer, and then God is going to start answering my prayers. Have you ever had that experience? You start praying, and it's like, man, God, I just keep praying, but my Nalgene must not be full enough because it's still, I am still not seeing the answers that I need to be seeing. And we keep praying and praying and praying, and then we get to the experience where we're like, well, maybe God's saying no, because what are the three ways we've been taught that God answers prayer? Yes, no, or later Or some people say yes, no, or I've got something better. My sermon title today is called Double Negative. It's just written for my Grammy because she loves it when I use poor grammar. Double Negative. And the main point, if there was one thing that you took away from this sermon today that I want you to remember, it's this. God never says no. God never says no. Now, some of you are saying amen. You're brave. Some of you are saying, well, I know that God sometimes says no. Because I've experienced that. God never says no. That's the point. Now before that, anytime you preach a sermon like this, prayer is a difficult thing. I do not want to preach on prayer. That's why I believe that it was the Spirit leading me on this, because I do not like preaching on prayer. Because there are so many people who have been praying for things, praying for people, praying for healing. And it doesn't always happen, does it? So how in the world can I stand up here today and say God never says no? You know, there are some disclaimers. Don't you hate that? Three prayers that God doesn't always answer. Just being real. Three prayers God doesn't always answer. The first one is that praying for someone to be converted. You've been in that experience. You have a, maybe a son or a daughter or, or a friend or a relative some kind that doesn't know Jesus. And so you start praying, Jesus, please lead this person. Convict them. Show them that they need You. You know what I'm talking about? And years pass. And decades pass. And maybe that person dies and they don't know you. Some of you might have the exact opposite experience where you're praying for someone and they know Jesus. So sometimes God does answer that one and sometimes He can't. Why doesn't He always answer that? Because God doesn't overpower people. God doesn't force people to choose Him. Because God is not the... the, the, If you were going to give a one-word definition for God, it would not be power. Definition would be love. Not just any kind of love, not worldly love, selfless love, putting other people first. And so God, He is love, He's putting other people first, so He's not going to force someone to choose Him. So God isn't always able to answer that. I would go so far as to say without praying, that person doesn't have any choice. I've, I've had the opportunity to work with, with uh, Pastor Nathan. He's a very intellectual guy. Very smart guy. Very wise. Has incredible answers to Bible questions. And there are so many times where I've heard him give an incredible answer to someone who had a question and they turned away from him. I'm like, What? That was the closest thing to two plus two equals four that you're gonna get, and they turn away from him. Why? Because people don't just respond to intellectual answers. You have to use, you have to allow the Holy Spirit to use you rather in order to reach those people. So that's the one prayer that isn't always answered. The other prayer that's not always answered, and this one is is extremely difficult is when someone is sick or dying or hurting with some sort of physical ailment or something like that. Why doesn't God answer that prayer? Well, I'm agonizing over this because this is really something that needs to have a series done, but I'll give you the short answer. You can find one of my sermons on the Sonora website if you care to listen to me again. Called, Where is God When It's Hurting? Um, but basically, the, the, the concept is this. Whenever God performs a miracle, He allows Satan to keep his mask on. Now, Some of you don't know what that means. Whenever God performs a miracle, we can be tempted. In fact, Spirit of Prophecy says, and Ellen White says in Desire of Ages talking about Jesus, that some of the people in the very crowd that were shouting, crucify Him, had been healed by Jesus not a week before. And so sometimes when God performs miracles, when God performs miracles in our lives, when God heals that person, when God saves that person, listen to this, it's hard to hear, I know. But when God does those things, we're tempted to say, yeah, life life here isn't so bad. I think I could enjoy living here. God's got my back. He He can heal me and take care of me. And that allows Satan to say, yeah, this place is nice. But this place isn't our home. And so God, to remind us of that, He has to let sin work out its way in our lives. Which means, as we know from, from the Apostle Paul, that, that the wages of sin is death. And so God has to allow, God does not want to allow Satan to keep his mask on. He wants to say, no! This world isn't your home. And ultimately, we as Christians, this is the faith that we have. This is why Paul says later in, in, uh, in th- to the Thessalonians um, that we should not sorrow, we should not weep as those who have no hope because we know that ultimately we will be healed. We will be restored from the grave. But that's another one that's not always answered. And, I, and uh, maybe that's not a satisfactory answer for you. If that's, that's not, that's okay. Just keep searching. Don't lose hold of Jesus, but that's what I would suggest to you this morning. The reason God doesn't always answer that prayer is because he doesn't want Satan to convince you that this place is a safe place to be. He wants you to see that this place is a dangerous place. The third prayer that God doesn't answer is when we have something in our life that's keeping us from him. Because there's kind of this understanding of God that He's a vending machine God that if we ask anything we want, He'll give it to us just because He's a vending machine. But that doesn't help us because Jesus is not interested in just helping you in your momentary distress. He's interested in your eternity. And so He will help you in that individual stressor, but he's not, going to, he's not going to reward bad behavior. Does that make sense? So when do you know that God answers prayer? Well, you'll know because you're praying and you're sincere. It's not that complicated. It's not, sometimes when I hear prayer is one of those, the most um, sp- this spiritualized um, superstitious things that, that we often get stuck on. And I don't think it has to be because God is a person. He's our friend. He's not this, this um, invisible, unfeeling, um, impassable force. He's a person and He loves you and He died for you. That's, that's what we know. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus is our friend. He's a person. He's not a vending machine. And so if we are sincere, if we're seeking God with our heart, it's not complicated, it's just that. If you're praying, God, I really need this. That's sincere. That's sincere. And that is the type of prayer we're talking about. There's those three disclaimers, but the, uh, the, the claim still stands. God never answers prayer with no. Except for those three times. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7. Verses seven to twelve. Matthew Chapter seven, verses seven to twelve. When you get there, say Hallelujah, Amen. Matthew Chapter seven, verses seven. This is what the Word says. I'm reading from the New King James Version this morning. If you've got a different version, that's fine. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Powerful stuff. There's no sense of God not answering prayer here, is there? Or what man is there among you who if his son asks for bread, who will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, who will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those that ask Him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. So we end up with the golden rule. Kind of that concept of Jesus isn't going to reward bad behavior. But do you see before there, Jesus is comparing Himself. He's comparing the Father to a father who loves his child. And if a child asks you for some bread, you're not going to give him a rock. And if a child asks you for a fish, you're not going to give him a snake. God wants to answer your prayers. God wants to answer your prayers. God doesn't give. When Jesus is giving that in the Sermon on the Mount, he's not saying, I'm not going to answer you. He's saying, Ask and you will receive. Ask and you will receive. You will receive what you need if you ask. Jesus here is not saying, sometimes, going back to kind of what we were saying at the beginning, sometimes there's kind of this, this dichotomy. it's it's problematic. How do you know, kind of in the traditional way of thinking, God answers prayer three ways. Yes, uh, I've got something better or no. How do you know whether you're supposed to stop praying for something or not, right? Because what if you're praying and praying and praying and praying and nothing's happening? Is that a sign that you're supposed to stop because God said no? Or is that a sign that you're supposed to keep praying because you haven't prayed enough? (laughs) Right? Right? What do you do there? Well, if I look if I, I'm reading what Jesus is saying right, saying here in uh, Matthew chapter seven, it's saying that God wants to give you what you ask. God wants to give you what you ask, and if you ask, you will receive. So why is it taking so long? And what about the times when it seems like God is saying no? Let's keep going. We're going to go to another verse. We're going to go to James chapter 1. It's having devotions, New Year's, and I'm like, well, I'll read the book of James. (laughs) And what a New Year's text I found James chapter 1, verse 2. And this is what the Bible says. James chapter 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. How many of us do that? You don't have to raise your hand. How many of you are joyful when the tire's flat? That's your first reaction. How many of you are joyful when the kid starts rebelling? <laughs> When we were skiing the other day, I had this situation of watching this one kid who's, who's a wonderful guy, great guy, but he, he suffers, um, he, he has some, some autism, he's on the spectrum. And he was having a temper tantrum right there, right where the chairlift picks you up. And he's screaming and kicking and yelling, and I'm looking at the chairlift guy, and he's like, Help your kid. And I'm like, What am, what am I going to do? <laughs> and he's having a tantrum there and I had no clue what to do and I was not joyful. <laughs> but this is the New Year verse. James chapter 1 verse 2, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. But let patience have it perf- it's perfect work in you that you may be perfect and complete. Lacking in nothing. It's very interesting. Um, I'm, I'm very fascinated by the Navy SEALs. The Navy SEALs have a cutoff date of, uh, I think, what, 35? 30, 35? Something like that. I need to remember. Um, and and uh, some of my kids are, uh, have t- called me an old man. I'm, I'm super old. I'm 24. Um <laughs> I asked one of the kids if they had a camera phone the other day, and they looked at me like, what? I'm like, well, you know, a, cam- a cell phone with a-, with a camera in it? They're like, so you mean a phone? I'm like, yeah. Because <laughs> I remember when every cell phone didn't have a camera, which was not that long ago. But um, I always tell them when they call me an old man, I just say, well, I could still try out for the Navy SEALs, so I still consider myself very young. Um, But one of the very interesting things about the Navy SEALs is they've got a very, very intense workout system. The most intense in the world. And and what's interesting is it hasn't changed a whole lot since World War II. They weren't called SEALs back then. They were called Frogmen. They were responsible for removing the obstacles, a lot of the obstacles, off of uh, Utah, Omaha, Juneau Beach um, on June 6, 1944, which of course as my history nerds will remember, is D-Day, um, the invasion of Europe, um, and uh, the opening up of the ETO, Europe, European Theater of Operations. And um, they, they, they trained these men in a very similar way to the way they train them now. And uh, these, these Navy SEALs, um, most of them do not pass. I'm reading a book right now um, called Extreme Ownership that was written by two Navy SEALs, and one of the guys who was talking said that only 40% of his class passed, and that was an extremely high number. Only about 40% pass. And what would you think makes someone pass to become a Navy SEAL? Talking about the elite special forces of the United States of America. People that movies, or a group that that has had many movies and books recently published about them. What in the world would you think, do you think makes someone fit enough to pass Bud's basic underwater demolition training school? What makes a person fit enough to do that? Okay, Faith, someone said swimming, right? Endurance, okay. Your minds. Someone over here said your minds. Your minds. What about your minds? Patriotism? America. Red, white, and blue. Got a bald eagle tattoo on my, on my chest. I don't, but <laughs> talking about the Navy Seals. Um, is that what does it? Patriotism? How about really, really, really wanting it? you think that's... Enough to make you want to be a Navy SEAL. I really, really want this. It's very interesting. The people who pass Navy SEALs are the people that are able to take their exp- their circumstances and they turn it into sort of a game. It's very interesting. You ask your kids. Notice this. Those of you who um, uh, allow your uh, your children to uh, play video games, sinners. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> um, you who allow your kids to play video games, or any game really, H- have you ever noticed that when, you're, when your child is playing video games and um, they're, they're completing objectives, they're completing tasks, right? That's the whole purpose of a game, right? A game wouldn't be fun without a challenge. The whole purpose of a game is to accomplish something, it's to work. It's to finish something. But as soon as you ask them to complete one of your objectives, i.e. take out the trash, all of a sudden it's no way, Mom. No way, Dad. Why is that? Because shooting animated Russians is a lot more fun. No. (laughs) Because jumping the frog, jumping Mario is a lot more fun. No. It's because we think of life, not... As um, we, we think of life and the objectives that happen when, when, when life comes at us, we think of them as struggles, problems, things that are getting in our way. But these Navy SEALs, they've been thinking about it in a very different way. When they come up to obstacles, their minds switch to this is a game, this is fun, I'm gonna accomplish the objective, I'm gonna win. Kind of an unusual way of thinking about something, but it's it's this is how they win, and I believe that this is kind of um, James is giving us a picture into God's Navy SEAL training for us that we are supposed to count trials joyful. Why are trials joyful? Verse three, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Kind of like a workout. So that's another example we could use. Kind of like a workout. You're working. You're working. You're working. And instead of being, man, I'm miserable and the lactic acid is burning up my muscles and man, what's going on? You're like, man, I'm feeling the burn. This feels good. I'm getting fit. I'm getting healthy. How do we look at trials? Do we look at trials as a game? As as something that's going to build up our faith in the Creator? Or do we look at trials as something that's dragging us down, that's keeping us from getting where we need to be? There you go. Thinking about trials as an opportunity. This is something that's in the book of James and I think it's a problem that, that a lot of us are facing in life. We, sometimes we may be guilty of taking life too seriously. And instead of allowing and remembering that God is in control, that He's going to take care, for, care of us, our prayers become just a total agony. A total a painful experience. Um, something that we kind of loathe that time when we're praying. But praying, if I read the book of James right is not supposed to be a time of agony. It's supposed to be a time where we say, yes, I'm finally going to be able to work out that faith muscle. I'm going to get stronger. I'm going to be able to believe in, in my God more. Now, what is it about those trials that get you through and build your faith and make you stronger? Well, it's this. When God answers something, when God answers a problem that you have, you remember that he answered that problem for you, right? And then another problem comes up. And if you're exercising what the book of James says, then what 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 do you do? You pray and you have faith and you're joyful. Not joyful because you're loving the current experience that you're going through, but because you remember that God was strong enough to get you through what happened before. And then the next thing happens and God answers that one and He builds you up again and you're saying, God, you know, I know I'm facing this. I know I'm experiencing this, but I remember when you did da 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 da, da. and I believe because of that, that you're going to make me stronger. Not stronger personally, but stronger in the fact that I will trust you that you are able to accomplish what needs to be done. Does that make sense? And as this happens, more and more and more and more, we are going to have Faith in God, not as some sort of mystical force, not as some sort of supernatural, sort of ethereal, ungraspable experience, as often people view prayer, but as someone going to a friend who always keeps his promises, as someone who is always going to help you out. Does that make sense? Because I feel like my personal experience, and maybe I'm the only one in here today that experiences that, but I feel like my prayer experience often is not a time of joy. It's not a time of trust in the Lord. It's a time of, man, I hope this works. <laughs> if that's not bad enough, some of us even do this. We throw in our own little sort of uh, sort of a disclaimer. We love to pray... God, if it's Your will, you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever done that? You're like, God, it's kind of funny the mental gymnastics that we do. Um, we're, we're praying for this and we're like, God, I really need help with this. Like, This is a really big thing. This is a big problem. But just in case You don't answer it, and just so I don't lose my faith in You, I'll pray if it's Your will. If it's, you know what I'm talking about? Have, how many of you, you don't have to say that, but have you experienced that? <laughs> like, man, I hope this works. <laughs> if it's your will, God, but if it's not your will, that's okay too. Like, does that sound like what Jesus was saying in Matthew chapter 7? Jesus indeed, did, Jesus indeed did pray if it's your will. Jesus did indeed say that to his father when he was in the garden of Gethsemane. It is good, I'm not saying it's wrong to pray that prayer, but it's wrong to pray it with the mindset that it's kind of giving a loophole to keep your faith alive. If you're praying, if it's your will because you believe and trust and know that God could provide something better than you expected... That's a wonderful prayer to pray. But when we pray that prayer as kind of a disclaimer to keep our faith alive, you know, just in case God doesn't make good on His promises, that's harmful to us. That's destructive. Does that make sense? Do you agree or disagree? Am I preaching heresy? Maybe. God is someone... Who wants to answer our prayers. But so often, so often we don't really have faith in Him because we look at prayer as kind of a, a, a last resort experience, not with joy, not with hope. And then sometimes we pray not really believing He's got the power to do it. And so we might say the right things, but mentally we're thinking, well, if God doesn't work this out, well, I guess you know knows the answer. But God wants to answer our prayers. And if we think of God, I know I'm sounding like a broken, broken record here, but if we think of God as a person and not this, this totally weird, unbalanced force that if we just fill up our Nalgene enough... With prayer that he's eventually going to be like, Oh yeah, that's enough prayer. I'll answer you. God, when He is wait is when you have to wait for God to answer your prayer, He's trying to build up your trust in Him. He's trying to build up that trust. Now, like I said, we talked about those three things, those three things where God can't always answer prayer. One of them is because God doesn't force One of them is because God doesn't want us to be complacent on this earth. And the other one is if we're unconverted. But I haven't seen any experience other than those three things when God says no to prayer. Because God wants to answer your prayer. So what happens then when it seems like... What what confidence, what hope can we have? I was reading in uh, Testimonies for the Church Volume 4 page 531 it says this prayer which comes forth from an earnest believing heart is the effectual fervent prayer that availeth much god does not always now notice this god does not always answer our prayers as we expect for we may not ask what would be the for our highest good but in his infinite love and wisdom He will give us those things which we most need. Nothing she says there, nothing that Ellen White says there, says that God sometimes doesn't answer prayers. I guarantee you that if you ask God for something, if you ask God for help, He is going to give you something. It might not just be exactly what you wanted, but He's not going to say no. God has a whole blessing house full of of blessings in heaven for us. He wants to give us good things. And if you're asking for something, He's not going to give you a a, a rock. He's certainly not going to give you a snake. And He's also not going to give you... There's a different double, double negative anything. God is going to give you something when you pray. Like I said, it might not be exactly what you had in mind. But God never answers prayer with no does that make sense? I'm challenging you. To, you may not believe this. You may not have an experience, but I have an experience where I believe this is so. I have an experience that if you are struggling with something in your life, maybe an addiction, maybe an a, a economic problem, maybe a job problem, maybe a kid problem, whatever that experience is, like I said, God can't force someone to follow Him. But whatever that experience is, God promises you an answer. God promises that He's going to give you what you need. Prayer is not something where we can just ask God for something and, and hope that maybe He doesn't say no. If you ask, He will give you what you need. You know, I want to close with this story real quick. Uh, we've got three minutes left on the clock, it looks like. I'm trying to. When Godfrey told me to. You know, I, I kind of feel like I'm preaching this and it's not like super believable to all of you, um, but it, it's so true. Um, I really challenge you guys to, to seek God out in prayer and to recognize yeah, there are those three things. He can't always heal you, He's got to make us, He's got to let us recognize that if we stay here, we're going to die anyway. It's just the natural consequence of being separated from the life giver. Um, And He can't force the conscience. And He's not going to reward bad behavior. But God, if we seek Him, He is going to give us what we want. He's not going to say no when we're asking Him for help. When we're asking Him for something that we need. I remember call portering... I think you were with me, Maverick. Were you there at at, uh, that weekend on Thanksgiving break? Yeah. So Maverick was with me and we were canvassing and I was with him and a whole bunch of other souls E kids, Souls-West kids, and me, the lowly P-U-C kid. And uh, we went canvassing and I remember I was like, man, you know, I loved my summer experience. This was awesome, going call-portering, selling bookstore-to-door. This is amazing. I love it. I'm going to go do it for Thanksgiving break and make some money for PUC, right? So I go there, and I drive out there, and I, was, I had a bad quarter. Or a bad almost quarter. And I was like, well, you know, it would be really nice to stay home, but I really feel like I should do this. I really feel like I need to go call portering. And so I go call portering, and I start knocking on the doors. And start knocking on the doors. Knock, knock. We're in in the uh, in, in Milpitas area. No, Salinas area. We're knocking on doors. Pop, pop, pop. And look, there's a cross there. That's awesome. We're gonna sell lots of books there. There's a WWJD bumper sticker right there. Yeah, what would Jesus do? He'd buy my books, right? That's what Jesus would do. And uh, oh, look, some kids in the yard working. Man, I'm gonna sell so many books. I'm gonna pay all four years of college. Just in this week alone. And so I go start knocking on doors. And I knock on this door with John 3.16 on the door. Lady opens the door. What do you want? You beep, 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 beep. She starts swearing at me. (laughs) But lady, John 3.16, see this is Jesus on the book. Get out of here. Beep, beep, beep. What in the world? I keep knocking. Knock, knock, knock. Same experience. Beep, beep, beep. But but you have a cross right on... I realized right there, not everyone who says Lord, Lord... (laughs) you know the rest. Many, many people (laughs) who say that they're Christians, I I mean, all you have to do is knock on their door, and you know who's living in that home. I was so frustrated and so angry and I'm like, "God, you know what? I'm going to go home. I don't need this. I'm going to go home and I'm going to uh, you know, pull weeds for for my grandmother for 25 cents a pop or I don't know. I'm going to do that. You know, I don't need this. And uh, 25 cents is a little high. Anyway, we'll talk about that later. Um that what am I doing here, God? I'm here to to preach your message because your people need to hear about Jesus. They need to hear about the awesome thing that he's done for them and that he's coming soon and they need to hear about that. But but your people are cussing at me and slamming doors in my face. And they weren't even doing this by themselves. They were doing this in front of their little children. What in the world am I going to do? Finally, I got to the, the last door that I was there. I, I, I even got, got cussed out by a preacher. He told me what church he was a preacher at, too. After he cussed me out, I was like, wow, that's a little bold. Um, <laughs> and uh, I got down on the ground and I just said, God, I'm done. <laughs> These people deserve to burn. <laughs> Mercy (laughs) needed the Holy Spirit at that moment. God, I'm done. I don't believe that You've called me here. Look at what's happened. (laughs) You better show me that I can trust You. You better show me that You have me here for the right reason. I get up and I knock on the next door. Not the next, next, next door. The next door, I knock on this door and I meet this guy and he's got the spray-on tan. Looks like he's kind of Beverly Hills-ish. And he's like, yeah, how's it going, man? I'm like, good. Yeah, I just got done playing tennis. And um, what, what's up? And so I start talking with him and showing him my stuff. And he's like, oh, wow, this is cool. And then he noticed the, the kid book has a picture of Jesus. He's like, oh, are these religious? It's got a Valley girl, boy accent. Um, and I say, yeah, they, they actually are. He's like, oh, well, I'm, I'm actually an atheist. I'm like, great God, thank you. Just what I needed. It's bad enough getting sworn at by Christians, but now I have Richard Dawkins crammed down my throat. What's going to go on here? And so, you know, I pull out the great controversy awesome book. Show it to him. I'm just like, yeah, this book tells all about why church and state t- together is a bad idea. This book, if you don't like church and state, this book is for you. And uh, and he's like, oh, really? So he, he opens it up, and I'm like, God, you know, this would be so awesome. Wow, praise the Lord. Man, you might just get a great controversy into this guy's home, God. That's awesome. So I'm, you know, happy and excited. and You know, sometimes we expect too little. (laughs) The guy goes in there and he comes out and he's like, well, what other things do you have? And I show him and he's looking at all these. He's like, you know what? I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. But there's something different about you. I'm going to buy all your books. Even the Spanish books. (laughs) The dude's a total gringo. (laughs) Why? It's because God answers prayer. God never says no. We, we already talked about those three things. I'm not going to mention them again. But those three things where, where God can't say yes because God's not powerful. If He was just powerful and wanted to blow up people's lives, He could. But God never answers our prayers with No. He always gives us an answer. He always gives us something that's going to help us. He doesn't leave us in the cold, dark world. When we say, Jesus, I'm hungry, He's like, forget it. (laughs) Or here's a snake. He says, here, let me give you what you need. So my challenge to you is this. As you're going into an evangelistic series, there's going to be things that happen. Remember, a was telling me, just like how you know Satan seems to attack, and you know, the sound system I've experienced, this can just totally blow up right at the critical moment. You guys are going into some heavy spiritual warfare. You're going to go up not just against um, flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, right? Ephesians chapter 6. And without prayer. Even if you have the most profound logic, you're having a creation series. Even if you're able to shut those those evolutionists down, <laughs> it's not going to win people. Even if you've got all the glow tracks being handed out, even if everyone in this church passed out ten thousand glow tracks, even if Pastor Godfrey just is so good that uh, you know the television stations come out and start filming Him. It's not going to do a thing of good unless you go into this thing seeking the Lord. Seeking the good gifts that He wants to give to you that He is going to give to you. And I said at the beginning, you know, God can't always, God, God can't always answer that prayer about uh, reaching people's hearts. But you can't reach your hearts without Him. (laughs) So that's what I have for you. Just remember the power of prayer as you're going into this. Remember that God answers prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank You that uh, You have taken foolishness like preaching things that don't make a whole lot of sense. A crazy guy walking around up front saying a whole bunch of words doesn't make a lot of sense, but... You're able to take me and use me. And um, Father, I just pray that You'd be with this church, be with Pastor Godfrey as they're they're going to war as it were, going to seek those who are lost, going to teach Jesus to them, preach Jesus to them. Father, I just pray that You'd just give them the baptism of Your Holy Spirit, that You would remind them (laughs) that You don't say no. That when we ask, You give. Thank you so much for those promises in Matthew chapter 7. And um, Father, also I just pray that you would give us joy recognizing that when we go through trials, that we would remember what you've done for us in the past so that we would have confidence for what you are going to do in the future. In your name, amen.